We've been in a series of 2 Thessalonians. It's prophetic in nature. We're in Bible prophecy. You're going to hear a lot of Bible prophecy the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, if the Lord leads me to preach through the book of Revelation, which I'm leaning towards probably on Sunday nights, we'll probably spend at least probably six months in Revelation. There's going to be a lot of prophecy. I believe if there's ever a time for us to be focused and to be aware of what's going on in prophecy, it is right now. Um, you know, we should be excited about prophecy, amen, because it's about the future. We know how it's like all going to unfold. I was just talking to my daughter, Carice, about something the other day, and we're talking about, a, about a, this kind of a, something that's going on, and, and, and she made this comment, well, Dad, just like you always say in the pulpit, we know how it's all going to end, and we know what's going to happen in the future there, and we do, and we can thank God for that. Now, tonight, I want you to notice some sobering realities. I'm going to take some very complex uh, prophecies tonight. I'm going to condense it down to one to one lesson this evening, so you, it's understandable, so you have kind of a general idea of it. And I want to encourage you, whatever you don't understand after tonight, especially young people, whatever you don't understand, please make sure in the next, the next few days that you, you contact me and see me so I can help you through that. We will teach and preach through it again, but there's some good stuff here that we want you to see. Now, I'm going to make a statement to you tonight. What we're going to read tonight is real. These are realities that will happen. And these realities have some adverse consequences to them. And it's very important we know exactly what's going to happen and how that all comes together. So for sake of time tonight, just because I've gone along the last few, few Wednesday nights, I want to kind of get you out early this evening. I want you to see four things tonight. Number one, I want you to notice with me the faithful removal. Now we're going to look at verses 1 to 12 tonight. But I want you to consider with me, first of all, the faithful removal. The faithful removal. Now the, the removal here is talking about the fact that future Bible prophecy has a timeline. And this timeline has some things that are going to happen that involve a removal. Now, the first one we're going to notice, we spent some time on last week in verses 1 to 3, but I'm going to just cover it very quickly tonight. The first one I want you to notice is the rapture of the Christian. The first removal is the rapture of the Christian. We find that in verse 1. In verse 1 it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by gathering together unto him. Now we, 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 we went over this last week, but we said this involves and is teaching about the, about the rapture. Now the rapture is when the Lord Jesus Christ descends from heaven and summons the saved to go up to be with him. The Lord will descend from heaven, the third heaven. He'll descend down here to the first heaven, to the atmosphere that we are in. And the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that there'll be the, sound, the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet. And then we know there'll be two stages inside of this, this rapture. The dead in Christ who have predeceased us, who are in the grave, their souls have already gone to be with the Lord, but their bodies will be raised incorruptible. The Bible says the dead shall be raised incorruptible. The dead shall be raised to meet the Lord in the air. And then as soon as that happens, we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. The words caught up are the word, the word, two words caught up is the one Greek word harpazo, which basically means that uh, it's snatched out. And so that's where we get our idea of the word rapture there. Now notice in verse 2, we also have the phrase the day of Christ. Now where you find the phrase the day of Christ, it begins with the rapture. The day of Christ begins with the rapture. And you might read other things on that, but I hold the position that the day of Christ refers to the, the starting point is the day of the rapture and continues until the end of the tribulation when the second coming comes. Now, you're also going to see the phrase, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord coincides with the day of Christ, but a little bit different. The day of the Lord, when you see that, the emphasis is on the judgment of God and the wrath of God upon planet earth. The day of the Lord begins after the believers leave the earth. After we are raptured, the day of the Lord starts the great tribulation, which I'll refer to in just a moment, and will continue until throughout the millennium period there, where after the millennium 
which we'll spend some time on when we get into Revelation. The millennium period well, will continue. Then after that 1,000-year reign of Christ, that, uh, that uh, we, we find that uh, Satan will be cast back into hell, and death and hell will be cast into excuse me, the lake of fire there. So we'll be looking at that a little bit more there. But the day of Christ specifically is dealing with the starting, the starting point is the rapture. Now, the rapture has not occurred. How many glad about that tonight, man? The rapture hasn't occurred yet, but it will occur. And uh, we're going to be part of that, and we thank the Lord for that. So we want to be listening for the trumpet. So the first removal we've spent some time on is to remove is the rapture of the Christian. Now, the second one I'm going to give you tonight, you need to listen very carefully. The second one you want to take note of tonight, there's going to, the second removal is the removal of the comforter. The removal of the comforter. Notice verses 6 and 7. Now, who's the comforter? Somebody help me out tonight. Who's the comforter? The Holy Spirit. Where, what does the word comforter mean? Paraclete. What is paraclete? Not paret, but paraclete, okay? It means the one who comes alongside of you, right? The word para. Para means to come alongside of, okay? So like paratransit, they come alongside to provide transportation, okay? A parachurch, it's a ministry that comes alongside to help the local church, okay? The paraclete means he who comes alongside of us. Literally means your best friend. It means in that context here. Now, we're talking about the removal of the Holy Spirit. You want to be concerned about that. You want to be interested about that because that's leading down to our passage. Look at verses 6 and 7 because I had you underline some words there. Verse 6, notice this is, And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Now, verse 6, the word withholdeth, that whole phrase, is talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the word withholdeth, is talking about the restraining power of the Spirit. Now, if you know anything about dispensations, okay, the dispensations we're in, we are in what we call the dispensation of grace. We are in that time period of grace. This is the dispensation of the church and of grace. God has poured out his grace upon planet Earth, and that grace is reflected through his salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Now, during this age of grace we're in, it's the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is at work. Would you notice verse 6 again as we read it slowly? He says, and now you know, now this is something Paul had already taught them about. He said then in verse 5, now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. The Holy Spirit is being, is, is restraining his power. The he that is referred to here is not talking about the Holy Spirit. The he in verse 6 is talking about someone else, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the Holy Spirit, while we're here, because he lives inside of us, because the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to every believer, that restraining power of the Holy Spirit is in this world today. The reason why God has delayed his coming, or delayed the rapture, is because he wants to see a few more people get saved. Amen. The Lord, the Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is present in this world. It's restraining the power, what we're going to call the mystery of iniquity from advancing. We're going to see that in a minute. It's, it's preventing the, the, from sin going full force faster than it is right now. Now, when we look at that, notice verse 7. Verse 7 speaks about the mystery of iniquities. We'll see in a minute. The mystery of iniquity is when sin and lawlessness is unrestrained in this world. It's when sin and lawlessness is restrained in this world. If you were here on, I think, last Wednesday night on the falling away, I spoke about, I spoke about the falling away. We went to Romans chapter 1 a little bit, and I talked about lawlessness and the depravity of man. Well, you can imagine all of those things we read being much worse than, than what we're experiencing right now. Now, the mystery of iniquity, because it's something that has not been revealed yet, is when sin and lawlessness is at work in planet Earth, it's unrestrained. I think it will probably parallel the sin and lawlessness 
lawlessness during the time of Noah's days that we read about in Genesis 6, if not worse than that, because we're told that things will be just like the days of Noah. Now notice again verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. In other words, it's in process right now. It doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now those two phrases, withholdeth and he who now letteth will let, is speaking about the Holy Spirit. It's speaking about the comforter. Now what's going to happen? Watch this. When the rapture occurs, we are taken out of this world. Now praise God for that. But when we're taken out of the world, so is the, the fact of the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is taken out of this world. The Holy Spirit removes his presence. Now that doesn't mean he's not going to work because people get the question, well, if people, how are people going to get saved during the tribulation? He will still be at work, but you can imagine his ministry being very similar to his ministry in the Old Testament time. Because during the Old Testament time, he settled on individuals, but he did not dwell inside of individuals. So you have to imagine that the Holy Spirit will still work work, but his restraining power will no longer be present upon planet earth, which is why during a seven year period of time, the wrath of God is being poured out upon all of planet earth. So the Holy Spirit will be removed. When, the, when all of us are removed, we, we're, we're gone, the Holy Spirit will be removed. Now you want to make note of this right now. Right now, the Holy Spirit is being held back. He's being held back when he who now letteth will let. And then it says, until he be taken out of the way. <coughs> he who letteth will let is restraining evil from being worse. He's restraining things from being much worse than what they already are. Thank God, if you think about Sunday, if the Holy Spirit wasn't present in the service, nobody would have got saved on Sunday, Sunday night. Amen? And by the way, we had two people that got saved on Sunday morning. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit there. But we have to re realize right now, the Holy Spirit is the one withholding the wrath of God from being unleashed in full force and power upon this world. But when he's removed, when he's removed, and that, and that will happen, when he's removed, then everything is going to go very quickly here, and we, we're going to see an unleashing of great evil. So the first point I want you to understand tonight is we see this faithful removal. God has told us in his word there will be the rapture of the Christian, and God is telling us his word from 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2, there will be the removal of the Holy Spirit. Things are bad now, but things will be much more worse when the Holy Spirit is removed. When will he be removed? He will be removed at the same time as the Christians are removed out of this world through the rapture. That's number one. We see, we see this, this faithful removal. Now notice, secondly, as we move through the passage tonight, I want you to see a second thing this evening. And that takes us back to verse 3. As this faithful removal happens, and the mystery of iniquity goes full force, and the mystery of iniquity is when sin and lawlessness, lawlessness is unleashed. We see, secondly, a false representative. This false representative, you might know him if you've read the Chick Tracks or any prophecy books or you've read through your Bible, hopefully you've read through your Bible. He's known as the beast or the Antichrist. The beast or the Antichrist. Now, he's given a lot of names. And notice these names and his characteristics that are given here in chapter 2. And I've, I've titled him, just so everything matches up, I've titled him this evening as the false representative. He's going to represent himself as Jesus Christ, but he is not Jesus Christ, okay? He's the Antichrist. And so notice he's, he's called out in verse 3 as the man of sin. 
when the Holy Spirit is removed, the man of sin will be revealed, okay? That is the, that is the beast or the Antichrist. Look at verse 2. The man, verse 3, the man of sin will be revealed. He's called the son of perdition. Now, only one other man in the Bible was called the son of perdition, and that was Judas Iscariot. I want you to understand something tonight. This beast, this Antichrist, whoever it might be, this person is going to, go to, is going to have worse than hell. He's going to spend all of eternity in, 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 in the lake of fire. This person has no sense of wanting God in him. In fact, notice some things here. He's called the man of sin. He's called the son of perdition. Notice in verse 8, he's called that wicked. The Bible calls him also the Antichrist. He's called the beast. And when you think about the term the beast, you've got to go back to the Old Testament studies and look at like the, the, these, like when Daniel uses the reference of the beast, he's not talking about the Antichrist, but he used the reference of the beast. The idea of a beast is something very horrible. It's kind of like when I was a kid growing up, when I was a kid growing up with black and, black and white movies, things like that, they talked about these monster movies. And my, my image as a kid of monster movies were things really scary and things like that. Of course, you know, that compared to the junk they have on, on, on now is just like night and day. But, but, uh, but you know, that's the idea of a beast. The idea of a beast is some, someone very horrible and somebody very cruel and so wicked. I mean, you don't even have the words to, or, or to describe or, or the imagination to describe how bad this person is. But Paul says enough here that he speaks about this man that he's called wicked. He's called the son of perdition. He's called the man of sin. He's called the Antichrist. He will be the one world leader during the tribulation. Now, all of the, all of the politics in the world, all of the governments of the world will merge, and this man will be considered the head of that. He will be considered the one world genius. He's the one that's going to lead the world into a cashless society. He's the one that's going to lead the world into, into a situation where it's going to be one world religion, one world government, one world worship. Would you notice some things in verse 4? This man is not for God. Now, just to give you a prelude, we'll be preaching about when we get to Revelation and we'll see some things from the Old Testament. When, when, the, when the rapture occurs, the wrath of God upon planet Earth begins. In fact, keep your finger right where you are. I want you to go with me to chapter 6 of Revelation. Go with me to chapter 6 there. It's not in your notes, so you can't read that. But go to chapter 6 of Revelation just so you can see where I'm coming from. And just for sake of time, notice chapter 6 of Revelation, verse 17. For it says, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now, when you look at that verse there, the great day of his wrath, it's talking about the tribulation. So remember, chronologically, as you read through the book of Revelation, okay? In Revelation chapter 1, we have, we, we have everything about Revelation chapter 1 deals with the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? We get to Revelations 2 and 3, it represents the church. We are in the church age. We have seven churches, which represent seven distinct church ages. We get to chapter 4, verse 1, the rapture has occurred. Christ has raptured his church. In fact, we have the phrase there in chapter 4, verse 1, come up hither, okay? In chapters 4 and 5, we have a glimpse of what's going on in heaven. If you want to know what's going to happen in heaven, the singing and the rejoicing and who's going to be there and all that, just go to Revelation 4 and 5. Beginning Revelation chapter 6, chapter 6 to chapter 19, we have the great tribulation, the great day of his wrath described there. Now, in the first three and a half years, the beast, the beast is introduced here, the Antichrist, this man of sin, the son of perdition, he's introduced here right at the onset of the, of the, of the great tribulation. And he comes out, when he comes across, he's going to be seen as a man of peace in those first three and a half years. So he does a lot of remarkable things. I mean, he's just recognized as a great charismatic personality. All the world's attracted to him. He's got smooth words. He's energized by Satan. In fact, notice verse 9. The Bible says, his coming is after the working of Satan. This man 
man is a satanically energized person. I do believe that there's demon possession going on right now. I still believe the devil is working over, over time in many lives. But what he will do with this man is, is quite, quite different than anything else we, we could ever imagine. I've even thrown out there and I've asked preachers this question. I said, well, do you even suspect, what do you think about the idea that the, that the, that the Antichrist could be a transgender? I mean, do you, when you think about some things I'm going to share with you for just a minute here, and I don't think it's out of, the, out of anybody's question or mind, that could be a possibility there. But I'm just going to say tonight, when you look at all these things, this man is evil personified. But the first three and a half years, he's going to introduce a time of peace. In fact, he's going to get a treaty with Israel, and the Jews will be making, making their way back into their homeland in, in, in Jerusalem. He's going to make a peace with them. He's going to get the temple, the temple built there on the, on the mountain there, and they're going to make their way. And he's basically, a Jewish worship will occur there on the mountain where right now there's a mosque right now. Well, all this can happen. Then he's going to break that peace pact. And notice what happens here. If you go to verse 4, at the mid Midway Park, he's going to break the peace pact with Israel, and then all havoc right, runs loose on Israel. Notice in verse 4 what happens. It says, at that point in time, we see a number of blasphemies that this man's going to do. It says, he will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God. This man is blasphemy personified. He's going to curse God. He's going to swear at God. He's going to bring God's name down. If you think anything any government is doing now against God is bad, wait till this man gets on the throne. It'll be worse than any other government has ever done. The Bible says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he, notice this, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, what does that suggest to you? This man is going to command the world, the world governments and all of religion to worship him, okay? This is how this man is going to unify all the religions of the world. I think, I, think, I think those of the Islamic faith will rally around this man because he's right in the hub of all this stuff there. And, of course, as you look at the Islamic faith, there's over one, over one billion people in, that, in, in their faith belief, and it's the fastest growing religion in the world right now. And so when you look at that, they will all rally around him because he's going to turn that temple, he's going to rip or jerk the temple ownership away from the Jews. And of course, the, the, because of the, 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 the Muslims right now have a mosque up on there, the Mosque of Omar, they're going to think that that's going to be all in favor of them. And then, as you'll notice, the three and a half year period of time, there'll be that the Russia will come down and be joined by, by, by Germany. This is, all in, uh, this is all in Ezekiel chapter 39. And then we'll find that Persia, Persia, which is modern-day Iran and Iraq, will join up with them, mainly Iran. And then there'll be, there'll be uh, Libya will join up with them. The North African nations, they'll join up with them to attack Israel during that time. And if you'll notice all those nations involved in the stand nations, they're predominantly Islam or Muslim in religion. They're going to attack Israel. Now, there's probably no religion that is more hateful of the Jews than the Muslims right now, especially what's going on with the Palestinian situation down there. So when you look at this, this man is going to draw all the favors from everyone in the world, all the world populations, and he's going to lead them in this matter. But what ought to be disturbing to us is, right, is that not long after he's, he, he, you know, he gets his control, about that three and a half year period of time, he's going to pose and exalt himself above God. Now notice this, he doesn't become his God, but it says, so that he as God. He wants to be as God, just like the New Agers. He wants to be as God as, as some of these religions today, but he will not be God. But he will be energized by the power of Satan. This false representative will draw the world together. He's the one that's going to be the one power that's going to draw the world together, which ultimately lead to the battle at Armageddon there. 
Now, we want to refer to this man as the Antichrist. He is the one who's against Christ. Lord willing, I'm going to preach in a, in a few weeks here from 1 John chapter 2. And I'm going to tell you some things there from 1 John 2 that I pray will, will help us there. But the one thing we need to notice here tonight about this man, his personality, he is a false representative. He will instigate the murder of millions of people. In fact, billions of people. He'll bring the world economy to a cashless society, as I said. Uh, everyone will have to have his number on their forehead or on their hand, and uh, he will instill fear and much false security. We read about him in Revelations 13 and a lot of stuff after that about this man. Notice some other things we read about this man, as we, we mentioned here earlier. Look at verse 8. He's called that wicked that shall be revealed. Right at, the, right at the onset of the great tribulation period, he will be revealed. Notice it says about this man, even him whose coming is after the work of Satan. And notice how he'll work with all power and signs and lying wonders. This man will be a literal miracle worker. He will have power that no other man has. Now we're not sure at this point in time how much artificial intelligence will play into that. I think it will play a little bit into that. We don't know how advanced we'll be at that time. Uh, it could be tomorrow. We don't know. When, and, and none of us really know how advanced artificial intelligence they only tell you as much as they want you to know there's other things going on technologically there but notice this man his workings with all power and with signs and lying wonders now here's the part i want you to think about here look at verse 10 it's, and it says and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness now i said last week as we look at the falling away i said that in the falling away we see it in society and as society shifts its values and gets away from God, we see it in the statutes of society. They pass laws to accommodate their choice of lifestyles and their sinful ways. Now notice it says here, this phrase, never forget this, deceivable, all deceivableness of unrighteousness. Did you recognize even right now how the world is grasping on to all unrighteousness? They're deceived by all forms of unrighteousness. It's already in motion right now in the falling away. So when you see that happening right now, I mean, people are going to believe the lies that are going on. In fact, the Bible says that right here, they're going to believe the lies. He says here in verse 10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish. So in other words, everyone who's lost, everyone is unsaved, is going to buy the lie. They're going to buy into the lie. They're just going to believe that. It's with all deceivableness and unrighteousness. So you can imagine right now, any vesture of good right now, any vestige of good in this world right now will be all upside down. It'll be all completely upside down. And the world as a whole, those who reject to be saved, whose hearts will be hardened, they will believe, they will accept all deceivableness of all unrighteousness by believing those lies there. So we see this, this false representative. He's just this one this one personality, this very strong charismatic leader, and of course using the internet as his communication device and social media. Can you imagine through social media how quickly he can get a message out and how quickly he can influence the masses and how quickly he can change the turn of events and how quickly things will happen. He will be revered. We notice in verse 4, he will be worshipped. He will be admired. He will be going to. Listen, military personnel will go to him for his final say. Religious leaders will go to him for the final say. Today we don't preach as much as we as we did in days gone by but when I got saved one of the warning signs that I read about as I was trying to grow in the faith and figure out what was going on was this phrase, this term called the World Council of Churches. The World Council of Churches is an amalgamation of all the churches of the world. Basically, they're all apostate churches. They're all, they're all people that are unsaved. They're all these churches filled with, that, filled with people that do not preach a gospel. And this is an amalgamation of all these churches. Well, it's kind of gone silent there, but this World Council of Churches and the, and the, and the National Council of Churches are helping promote and advance it. Next time you drive down the street and you see that Unity Church, and then on the other side you see the Methodist Church, 
the other side, you might see some Catholic church over here. On some other side, you might see a Presbyterian church over here. Or you might find an apostate Baptist church, a Reformed Baptist church. Always park in the back of your mind. They're all coming together. Because you know what? The first thing they give up, they give up their doctrine. That's why it's important in the independent Baptist church that doctrine is the main thing for a church like ours. And I want us to remember that we cannot sacrifice doctrine. And we cannot, we cannot put doctrine aside. But doctrine is the glue that holds us together. Doctrine is what we preach. Doctrine is what we should never get tired of. Doctrine is what we believe. Doctrine we promote. Doctrine is the word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So when we look at these, these, these entities here, these churches coming together, it, it, is, it is a no-brainer to see how all of them will gravitate to the sky. And we see the failure of governments, and you see the failure of the European Union, or let's say Britain, because they can't get their Brexit issue together, and all of these kind of things. You just see it all kind of folding together there, and the changing of the currencies, and realizing that there's, there's identity theft issues people are concerned about, and they're all shifting and moving towards that motion. I would even dare to tell you right now, there's probably technology and probably in the backside people that have already got some of the strategies in place and things that they can lay out, but they're just, because, because God's involved, just God's holding it back through the Holy Spirit, it hasn't been unleashed yet. But once the Holy Spirit's removed, as I said in point number one, and this false representative comes in, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go very quickly there. So as we look at that tonight, you know, you kind of think, well, I'm glad I'm not going to be here. Well, I'm glad I'm not going to be here too, but we need to know about this. We need to know about this. Why? Because we still, have to reach a, we still have to reach this world with the gospel. There's still people that need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think we have to be cognizant of that. So tonight, I want you to just take a moment here to realize that this man is going to usher in a, the, most, the most tedious time, the most difficult time in world history when he comes, comes to reign and, and, and for seven years there, this man called the Antichrist. And so we see this false representative, but I want you to notice number three, okay? Number one, we've seen the faithful removal. The faithful removal is the rapture of the Christian, and it's the removal of the comforter. Number two, we said we see, this, that we see this false representative. That's what Satan is. But I want you to notice number three, the forsaken remnant. Now, where's this all going? Well, Paul is giving us some, a lot of doctrine here. First of all, we're looking at the rapture. We see resurrection. I didn't even get into it, but there's the judgment seat of Christ. I didn't even get into it, but there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. We see the great tribulation. I didn't get into that. We've taken a glimpse, just a, a preview glimpse of the beast or the Antichrist. But I want you to see what should, should concern us but a remnant of people that are on planet Earth right now. A remnant of people that you and I know who are going to have adverse consequences. Because when the rapture comes, this remnant of people will suffer horribly because they didn't make the right decision. That's why I'm going to tell you tonight, in a Baptist church, everything I'm reading, it makes me sick, I want to puke. Everything I'm reading today is saying that the, that the altar, altar call doesn't work anymore, and you shouldn't call for decisions, and you shouldn't ask people to get saved. I'm going to tell you what, whether anybody responds or not, we're still going to have altar call. And regardless of your reaction, if you're a little scared about people seeing you, whatever, I'm going to tell you tonight, we need to give people the opportunity to know they can respond and they can get saved, and this is the time to get saved. So notice here this forsaken remnant. Who is this forsaken remnant? I want you to go back with me to verses 10 to 12 and let me read that to you. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them... That perish. You better underline that phrase, them that perish. This is that remnant. Because 
they, this remnant, they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now look at the word receive. Is that present tense or past tense? Present or past? Past tense. Okay, look at it again. In verse 10, because they received not the love of the truth. When was that? Before the Antichrist came into play. During the time of the age of grace. What age are we in? What dispensation are we in? The age of grace. The age of the church, the age of grace, okay? Talk to me today, okay? I want to make sure you understand where I'm at this evening. So right now, we're in a gospel preaching age. And let me just park here and say this. Don't ever get tired of being a gospel preaching church. Amen. Don't ever get tired of that. When the rapture occurs, the Holy Spirit's restraining power is removed. The great day of God's wrath, the tribulation, occurs. It starts. It's ushered in by this false representative, this Antichrist. What about the people who came to our Thanksgiving banquet this past Sunday and Sunday morning, and in 20 years, who've come through the doors of Heritage Baptist Church, beginning all the way down on 9th Street in Oakland, and coming now to 2960 Merced Street. What about all those people of tonight, the rapture occurred, and it could happen tonight. What about those people who heard the gospel? That's the group he's talking about tonight. He's talking about people who have heard the gospel, but the Bible says this is a, is a very apt description. They received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. In other words, they said, not today, Jesus. They're like, they're like, that, they're like the politician that told Paul, uh, give me a more convenient time. Or they're like, they're like uh, Herod who said, Herod Agrippa, almost thou persuadest me. Almost is not enough. Almost will not get you to heaven. Almost will send you to hell. Okay? So, so, you know, you, you look at this, or how about those people who gnashed on Stephen with their teeth? We're talking about gnashing of teeth last night in one of our extension ministries. And when you look at this tonight, all of us have relatives. And I want you to imagine that every one of us here tonight are like a Noah. We're a Noah building an ark to the saving of the house. And when that ark is completed, God told Noah, yes, you've preached 100 years. They received not the love of the truth. I'm paraphrasing it there. He, they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They said, a flood, rain, 40 days? You're out of your, you're out of your mind, Noah. There's no such thing is going to happen. They mocked at him. They scorned him. And then the day came. God said in Genesis chapter 7, Come thou, Noah, and all thy house into the ark. And when he did so, the Bible says, And the Lord shut the door. Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door. Let me tell you something. God does close doors. And when he closes the door, there's no man that has a key that can open that. Amen? I'm going to tell you that right now. Now notice this here. Everyone who's had the chance to hear the gospel and did not choose to be saved. That's what he's saying here in verse 10. Who love not the truth that they might be saved. Okay? They've accepted the deceivableness of all unrighteousness. Okay? When those people, they'll still be here on planet Earth after the rapture occurs. 
But when the rapture occurs, something's still going on in planet Earth. Okay, in fact, it's going to go, it's going to be unleashed. The mystery of iniquity, as I said earlier, this unleashing of sin and lawlessness. Okay, and it's called the mystery of iniquity because really it wasn't spoken of in the Old Testament. I mean, they're trying to, every, all of us are trying to get our minds wrapped around what does he mean the mystery of iniquity? It's, it's the unleashing of lawlessness like we've never seen. He's saying here that those people will be here on earth and they will live their lives as if like, well, big deal. I'll be, I'll be real honest with you. As I study the scriptures, I believe that when the rapture occurs, there's going to be a remnant left on earth. They're not going to be bothered by it. Because when I read this, I think about all deceivable of unrighteousness. I believe there will be concocted a lie about these people's disappearance, about the fact they've been raptured. They're going to give a lie, and everyone's going to buy the lie because the restraining power of the Holy Spirit's gone, and everyone on planet Earth will believe this deceivableness of unrighteousness. But here's what's going to happen. You say, well, but they heard the gospel. Will they have an opportunity to get saved during the tribulation? And the answer is no. They will not get saved. And here's why. Look at verse 11. And for this cause, now the cause goes back to verse 10. They receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, okay? For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. At what time period is God sending the strong delusion? The tribulation. Who is he sending the strong delusion through? Through the Antichrist and through all his minions there, okay? And so you look at verse 11, it says here, by the way, I'm excited about this. This is great preaching, amen, tonight. If you're not going to amen, I'm going to amen myself here tonight, okay? And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. They're going to believe a lie. Delusion. If you read over in 1 John chapter 2, he talks about this seduction, okay? Now, in other words, they've had the wool pulled over their eyes. They've been duped. They've been duped. And the Bible says here, for this cause, God shall send them. Now, when it says God shall send them, it's kind of like God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. God allowed that to happen. God let, let this unrestraining situation come to play. And he says, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now, why did he say God shall send them strong delusion, not the Antichrist? Because the wrath of God is in effect right now. You get what I'm saying? Say amen if you understand what I'm saying. The wrath of God. Because these people had an opportunity to be saved. They spurned the love of God. They spurned the love of God. They said, not now, Jesus. And so they believed this. So this even a worse lie is going to come. They should believe this. And notice verse 12. There are consequences. That they all. Now, who's they all? All these, this remnant I'm talking about. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth. When is that? Okay, okay. past tense goes back. They received not the love of the truth. That's before the rapture occurred. Now he talks about in verse 12, after the rapture occurs, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in righteousness. You know what's going to happen here? They're going to say, thank God there's no more Bible. Thank God there's no more Alan Fong telling me how to live my life. They, they're going to say, thank God there's no more Heritage Baptist Church knocking on my doors. And, we're there, and by the way, the other cities around here, the areas are getting a little more hostile to us these days here. I'm noticing a lot more solic no soliciting signs going right over the doorbells. And I'm waiting to the day they're going to say, and Heritage Baptist Church on there too, okay? And I'm just saying tonight, as we, we look at this, this forsaken remnant are people that you and I know who need to get saved. They need to get saved now. Because they don't get saved now. If the rapture occurred tonight, guess what's going to happen? Everything in verses 10 to 12. This forsaken remnant, God is going to allow them to damn themselves. He says this, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all, all of them, might be damned who believe not the truth, but pleasure and unrighteousness. It's going to be a partying society. It's going to be a fun-filled society. There are going to be some young people, Brother A.J., 
who have gone through the motions and faked us out that they've gotten saved. Because they all they want to do is they say, oh, well, I got I to gotta, I gotta placate mom and dad, but on the side where they're not looking, I'm going to do this. And I pray if any of you teenagers here tonight are not saved, get real with God and get saved tonight. Get saved tonight. Don't play games with God. Don't play games with God. There's two things that resonate to me in verses 10 to 12. I need to close up here. In verses 10 to 12, God, God chose very strong language. And even, even more so, in the Hebrew, it's probably a little bit more stronger than even how our King James translators, um, the Greek, it's more, more stronger than it, than it is than the King James translator brought it. And even with the King James, the King James English, it's very, very strong. I mean, phrase, look at it. Phrases like, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth. And it says that, you know, uh, they will perish. Then they perish. He's already, he's already classified these groups of people, verses 10 to 12. They're already classified. You say, well, that, that goes against God's nature. No, it does not go against God's nature. God loves the world. God wants people to be saved. But God has a timeline, okay? When he closes that door, that door is closed. When the, last, when the last invitation is given, if you don't respond, it's too late. And so, you know, tonight I look at this, and you know what that all boils down to? It's when all hope is gone. There's no more hope. There's no more hope. There's no more hope. It's gone. It's gone. Now, people will get saved in the tribulation. There will be those who did not hear the gospel. All those 144,000 Jewish evangelists will go around the world. They'll do a better job of, 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 of circling the world and getting the gospel around the world than, than our, during our modern-day missions movement. That doesn't mean that we should make an emphasis on missions, but somehow they're going to have a resilience of their way getting around the world and getting the gospel out much better than we will. But, and, and Matthew 24 tells us a little bit about that. But I'm going to tell you right now, there will be people to get saved, but it won't be this group. It won't be that group. So let me tell you how my heart aches. I've asked you as a church, you have unsafe family members, get me to see your unsafe family members. Now, I'm not boasting about myself, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to find a pastor on earth that's going to, that's going to love your family and try to get your family saved more than I will. Amen. Tell you right now, okay? okay? Because I'm going to tell you, I know, where, I know where things are going right now, and I know where all these guys are thinking. I'm not being faulty with them, but I'm going to tell you tonight, you need to get me to get your family saved, and you need to get them now. Listen, the, the window of opportunity is closing right now. This is the time to get people saved. This time to get the gospel to them. And there's just, there's just a way about that. There's just an anointing of God on this that I, I really feel right now is very important. We've got to get people saved. Family members, friends. Thank God for everybody reaching. But I'm telling you right now, the most important people you better reach is your own family members. That's why I encourage people. I, think I had to learn this the hard way. The most important people you need to pray for during the first 15, 20 minutes of your prayer time is your own family. You need to pray for your own family. People need to get saved. And so tonight we see this forsaken remnant is sad. And tonight, if you're here, I, I don't want you to be left behind and, and to be part of this group here because you heard the preaching, but you're going to believe that lie. If you're not saved, you'll believe that lie. You'll believe that strong delusion, and you're going to be at this place. You're not going to believe the truth because you're going to delight that pleasure and unrighteousness. I'm saying tonight, this is the time to get saved. Don't get put off getting saved. Don't put it off. If you know you need to get saved tonight, get saved tonight. Amen. Final thing I want to give you tonight, we've seen the faithful removal. We've seen a false representative. We've seen a forsaken remnant. This is the flow of what's going on here. Let me close by giving you this. We need a fervent resolve. 
Okay? Let me give you some things tonight, because it, it's a little scary even for young people here tonight. Let me give you some things. Young people, listen to this. And new Christians, look at verse 2. That you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter. Okay? First of all, when he says by letter, remember I mentioned last week there was a letter forged in Paul's name that said the rapture occurred. Okay, number one, don't be, be shaken by all those things. Okay? Harold Camping, he's already dead. The rapture didn't occur. Yeah, and I'm not saying jokingly, but I'm just saying, you know, there have been a lot of these things that have happened. But don't be soon shaken by it. You ought to rejoice. The rapture, the rapture is a, is, is you should be looking forward to it. It's a blessed hope for every believer, there, okay? But be not soon shaken in your mind or troubled in spirit, okay? Notice something else here. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. Do not be deceived, okay? Now, there's a lot of books on the, on the, on, on the market. I'm gonna, and please, I beg you tonight, please, please just don't pick up any books at random. A lot of them are just, there's a lot of stuff going on with prophecy that's going to get you all messed up if you don't believe right. And it's even like some preacher friends I know that have read the wrong prophecy books and they're not, they're not biblical where they're at. They're not, they've gone from being premillennial to where they're, 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 they're basically they're pre-wrath rapture. And that's not biblical, okay? It's just because they read somebody else's book and the arguments in those books are not, not very, those are man-made arguments. Those are not biblical arguments. The Bible correctly interprets itself there. So those two things I want to tell you tonight, let no man deceive you and that you be not soon shaken mind. But let me give you this here, okay? Number one, write this down. Start living for Jesus with a fervent zeal. Be, be on fire for God. Okay? Be it so any. Take some tracks, okay? Hey, look, we've got these beautiful, beautiful Christmas flyers. We're right in motion. I just told some of you came in later, okay? Uh, we, we've got this out. This is ready to go. Put this in many hands. I'm asking you as a church to help me have 1,000 people here between Saturday and Sunday night, the 14th and the 15th. What an awesome night, uh, two nights would be to have over 1,000 people here combined to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been making contact with numerous people where we're following up with all the visitors, and I've already got one family committed to coming to the Christmas. They just contacted me this morning. They're coming to the Christmas musical. i got several, a lot more we're going after. Let's get them committed to come to the Christmas musical. They've got to have a ticket, okay? Make sure they have a ticket. And just that's kind of a teaser to kind and get them in there, okay? But have a fervent resolve. Start living for Jesus with a fervent zeal, okay? Start making a list of these people that need to get saved. Let's get to them. Let's go to their homes. Let's go there. Let's get, get give me an introduction. Let's get in there. Let's get the gospel. Let's help them come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And then we'll get them, we'll get them enrolled into an adult growth group. That's important. We get them into one of those right now. Uh, I'm going to tell you tonight to use the Christmas musical. And if that doesn't work out, use Christmas, the Sunday service on the 22nd of Christmas to get them to come. If that doesn't work out, get them to come to our anniversary conference. That'll be the third Sunday of January. There'll be our anniversary conference, our 21st anniversary conference. Dr. R.B. Ouellette's going to be there that day. He's going to be our special preacher for that Sunday, as well as Monday, Tuesday. And so it's going to be great. Uh, we're going to get off. We're going to start the New Year strong. I mean, whatever it may be. By the way, every Sunday is a gospel preaching opportunity. Just get them here on Sundays to hear the gospel so they can hear, hear about it. Okay? Let me give you this number four. Let's stop living in sin and with a lukewarm Christian life. Okay? We, you know, we come in, we're kind of dragging our way in, and we're just kind of, you know, the the... the what we're living in, our day and age, things have kind of affected us and dragged us along. And then we get a little fired up after church or we get around some of our friends, we get fired up. Let me tell you, just be on fire all the time, amen? Just be on fire all the time. Get on fire through your prayer time. Let's stop living in sin and lukewarm Christian life. Go to church at every service. Serve the Lord. Encourage other people to be in church. Tell people we're at Three to Thrive Church. Okay? And I don't care where the society's going. I don't care where, 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 where the culture's going. And people that are coming in here, they only come once a week. They have to understand we're going to change that mindset. We're, we're a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church. We're a three to thrive church. And they need to realize if you're only going once, you're not going to thrive. Once to die. That's what they're doing. Once to die. Okay? Number five, the coming of the Lord could happen any moment. Will you be ashamed when he comes? And bear in mind, people we're praying for, they've got a lot of opposition. You know, they're reading this, they're reading that. We just need to pray down. God, God will get breakthroughs. Let me tell you this, and I'm done. We saw people that came this past Sunday night 
that have been prayed for. People, I'm thinking of, of just a couple of couples, but one I'm thinking in particular that I got introduced to that has been prayed for for over five years. They've been to all of our special. That first time they came was 2014. They stood over here when I got introduced to them. We took a picture with them. On Sunday night, they just let go and trusted Jesus. And say, I mean, they got truly saved and born again. And then I'm thinking about I'm thinking about an individual who did not get saved, but we talked to them at length a little bit on Sunday night. And they said, you know what, I'm going to tell you this. I, when I get saved, I'm going to be very real about it. He, says, he said, I am closer tonight than I ever have been. I want you to know that. And that was a breakthrough. In fact, the person stayed around. They normally zip in and zip out. They really don't want stick around. We saw a breakthrough in that person's attitude. We're seeing breakthroughs in people's hearts and attitudes and different things. And that's because of prayer. Sometimes maybe their names weren't even lifted up. And if their names were lifted, I think just God showed some extra favor there. But we're just praying for God to just loosen up some people and loosen up some hearts. And, and these days ahead, we're praying for a great harvesting of souls that'll be saved there. These are the days we need to be concerned. Now, why, why, did, why did I preach this message when hope is gone? I'll tell you why. We need to get motivated tonight. We need to do something about our society. We need to do something about the people we're at. We need to realize every contact we make is an opportunity to get the gospel to people. Don't be afraid of their faces. Set your face like a flint. Don't be afraid of their white coats. Don't be afraid of their lawyer. Don't be afraid of their trial lawyer. Don't be afraid of their CEO of some high-tech company. Don't be afraid of whatever it may be. Don't be afraid of their atheist or whatever it may be. That's fine. Let them be whatever they are. Listen, they, they've received the deceivableness of, of a lie and unrighteousness. They need to hear the truth of God's word. And by the way, I believe what the Bible says, the truth will make them free. They hear the truth, the truth will set them free. So we need to get the truth to them and help them realize Jesus Christ is the truth. And they get Jesus, they'll get free, amen? So you pray with me tonight that we're going to do all that we can. Let's be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Let's be peculiar people, zealous of good works, serving Jesus Christ, and asking God to do great and mighty things.